think of the children. Joseph, do you want a cookie? You have to eat your veggies first. Save the children from vegetables and everything. I saw that a lot, actually, this week. Uh, mostly shared by parents and grandparents through multiple shared experiences. And I have to say, it makes it really hard to get my kids to eat vegetables because I don't want to eat them either. Uh, and I'm sure many of you share the same uh, problem. But for centuries, it has been accepted that a vegetarian diet is healthier. Uh, historical persons like Leonardo da Vinci, Rene Descartes, uh, John Wesley also, they, they became vegetarians for this reason of health. Uh, as of today, 4% of men and 7% of women in the United States are actually vegetarians, 375 million around the world. But I only eat vegetables myself for one reason. I'm fat. I want to lose weight. And you know what? It starts off well with this great determination and drive, but inevitably someone nearby has a cookie. It's hard to hold on to a value not shared in relationship. Alone in my determination, eventually I let it go. Relationships can even threaten an unshared value. I read an article in the USA News and World Report titled, How to Foil Diet Saboteurs. And it identifies seven people who destroy your diet. There's Happy Hour Howie, who always wants to get drinks and munchies after work. There's Lunch Lady Linda, who reliably invites you out to lunch, even when you've brought your own celery. There's Baker Bob, who constantly brings home-baked goodies and brownies and cakes and banana bread to share. There's competitive Carol. She's not thrilled you're sticking to your diet because she already failed at hers. There's the sabotaging spouse who doesn't like that you're losing weight when he or she is not. There's the birthday bully who wants to know why you won't eat his cake. And there's the must-eat-more mom who tells you you're too skinny no matter what you weigh and feeds you more comfort food. It's an awful lot of pressure involved in a diet. There's an awful lot of pressure to fit in to community. When your goal is different from others around you, you're on your own. Now the book of Daniel starts off chapter 1 in identity crisis mode. Daniel and his three friends, they are in the middle and they are torn between two different communities. They long to continue religious and cultural tradition of their ancestors in Israel, but they want to be successful in their new home of Babylon. Now which nation, which culture, which God do they belong to? It's a pivotal question, and once it's answered, there's no turning back. Who or what we belong to shapes who we become. Belonging to Babylon means I'm going to be a Babylonian, right? So when King Nebuchadnezzar renames Daniel, an alarm bell goes off. We'll call you Belteshazzar, 
the prince of Baal. You'll carry the name of our Babylonian god of order and destiny. But Daniel doesn't protest the name change. No, he draws the line here. They say the way to the heart is through the stomach, and Daniel's heart and stomach are spoken for. The royal food rations sound so delicious, but they're dedicated to this false god too. If Daniel were to eat them, he's no, no longer saying, the Lord our God is one God. And the food is probably bacon and ham galore. So Daniel comes up with a solution. I'll just eat the vegetables. Maybe it doesn't violate the kosher food laws of the Old Testament. But more importantly, the vegetables are not dedicated to the god Bell. The thing about rejecting an offer from the king, though, is it is insulting. The king is offering power and wealth to Daniel. Even in your own family, you know that refusing food is a social sin. So Daniel devises a compromise. Let me and my three friends eat just the vegetables, and after ten days, if we look weak, we'll eat your royal rations. But if we look strong, let us go about our business. Now Daniel has no intention of eating this food. He trusts that God will deliver him and his friends. And in what has to be a miracle, first because they eat only vegetables for ten days. That's a lot of self-discipline. But they also look fatter doing it. Maybe not a miracle for some of us who've been on a diet before. They look stronger than the men who've been eating all of the royal meat. And Daniel and his friends, they have not been fed by their own hands. For ten days they lean on one another for support. They deepened their friendships during all of this self-sacrifice. And God fed them. God sustains us when we hold each other accountable for being faithful. God saw the power, God saw the faithfulness, the covenant commitment of these four friends, and God blessed it. They belong to one another, and together they belong to God. And it's important to remember that in this chapter 1, this is what enables them to do the other great things. Daniel goes on to be isolated and alone, but he doesn't give in even to the mouths of lions. And his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, from here they go forward into the fiery furnace and they survive. It all begins with the strength of their covenant together with one another before God. Now building a covenant and belonging involves giving up your part as just one of many. The fly on the wall, if you will. Embracing your part as, as one of the few. The Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 6.14, Do not be mismatched with unbelievers. For what partnership is there between righteousness and lawlessness? And what fellowship is there between light and darkness? Partnership and fellowship are intentional relationships. And they come, become a part of who we are. And it sounds harsh and exclusionary that only some would belong. But it is intentionally inclusive of 
certain people on a deeper level in our own lives that would never be possible if we didn't belong to each other. And so that's why some of us run from belonging. If I deepen my relationships with some, they'll know who I am inside and they might even reject me. But fellowship is an essential part of Christian witness. We are not called by Christ to be alone. We are called by Christ to transform the world together. And so in spite of what you've heard on the television, Christian fellowship cannot be experienced anonymously. Staying in the background means Christ's vision of the kingdom never makes it to the foreground. Following Jesus stays behind me rather than leading my life. Uh, I was reading a story about an old sea captain. He was at the top of his profession. He had earned a reputation as one who could make excellent decisions in times of crisis. People looked up to him for his clear and level-headed decisions. In every crisis, just before it was time to give orders to the crew, he would go down into his stateroom and he would open his safe and he would pull out a slip of paper and he would read it. And then he would climb back up the steps and walk out onto the deck and reveal to everyone his decision. Always a good decision. So when he died, curiosity killed the cat. The crew gathered around in his stateroom and hacked open his safe and they watched while the first mate opened and pulled out this well-worn slip of paper and he read it out loud to them, port left, starboard right. Most of us probably know, but those are just the sides of the ship, right? It may seem redundant, but truth bears repeating, right? That's why John Wesley, he, he structured an entire movement around the idea that, that groups where truth is repeated do this over and over and over again in trust. And he organized these groups seeking something more into societies and classes and bands, and each level a different number of people. They held one another accountable in relationship for being real about following Jesus. Now, I'm going to go over the questions that uh, they asked each other in the smallest group called a band. This would consist of no more than five persons. This is where they were at their deepest point of covenant relationship. The first question they would ask one another is, what known sins have you committed since our last meeting? <laughs> nice to meet you too, right? <laughs> Very intimidating. The second question, what temptations have you met with? And this is not Smokey Robinson, folks, right? This, all those things that swirl around in the head and heart, and you know you shouldn't. Would you? Could you? Should you? Number three, how were you delivered? All of us have daily struggles, and somehow we make it through. How did this go about happening? Let's trace God's action through the week. Number four, what have you thought, said, or done, of which you doubt whether it be sin or not? 
The idea that there could be a gray area of some sort. That's often how we justify most of the things we do that are unsavory. And finally, number five, have you nothing you desire to keep secret? Now, these are very probing questions. It's no wonder that according to historians, an estimated 25% of Methodists belonged to a band regularly. It was like eating vegetables. But just because it isn't attractive doesn't mean it isn't valuable. Belonging to one another with a shared value to follow Jesus is a powerful experience. So you may have heard recently a, a claim by Ted Cruz, and before anyone has a heart attack, I'm not going political, I'm just having fun. You may have heard recently Ted Cruz claim that Beto O'Rourke will replace all of the barbecue in Texas with tofu. Oh, for shame. Oh, for shame. Now, I want you to think about this concept because this is a clash of identities. Are you a cowboy in the purely mythological Texas sense? Because how many of us actually... Or are you a hipster in the mythology that you were actually cool to begin with, right? Uh, now, even with the escalating trade war, uh, China is coming after America's soybeans with tariffs. Now, if you don't know, soybeans make tofu. It won't be American soybeans making the tofu. Another identity conflict, are we a global community with shared interests or are we national communities with competing interests? Now all around us in the world, just from these two examples alone, you can see we are offered different identities and we are told that we must choose this or choose that. Did you know that beef and tofu go well together on the same plate? Because Yingyu makes it about every two weeks. Now, as Christians and followers of Jesus, Christians belong to communities both big and small. We live in a tension between the universal and the particular. We transform the world and we are transformed among trusted friends. Today, our social trend is toward anonymous community to avoid relationship entirely, and so people are so hungry for relationship. In the age of the selfie, though, I can delude myself. I can believe that I am my own community, and I can take a picture of it and take another one when I notice the spinach in my teeth. Jesus says there's always a picture bigger than me. And Jesus says to go out and to find that picture together, to share your values together, but to also band together around a shared value because when you do it, God will sustain you. Because my friends, as followers of Jesus, just as worship and prayer belonging to one another, it really does matter.